Hello, I'm Stuart McKenzie from TomorrowX and do I have a treat for you. We have brought together the world's best minds for an informal conversation about Composable. So who else would be better qualified to host this chat than none other than a PropTech CEO, former Chief Digital Officer, your host, Dharmesh Mystery. Globally renowned as one of the top 50 influencers to follow in the who's who of fintech, Dharmesh has lived and breathed Composable for many years. Dharmesh has composed a collection of global industry heavyweights to talk about their personal perspectives and shop floor experiences of Composable. Ari Van Benekum, co-author of the Agile Manifesto, Naresh Vyas, Head of Solutions at Royal Bank of Scotland, and formerly at Standard Chartered Bank and Citigroup. Kimberly Pills, VP of Intelligent Automation and Business Process Engineering at American Express. But first up, it's our very Costas the author, CEO of TomorrowX, to introduce the podcast, and he'll be moderating the discussion with Dharmesh and their guests. So, compose yourself, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Excellent. Well, let's start. And it's uh, it's wonderful to uh, have everyone join today for this conversation about Composable. Uh, we have uh, a really nice panel of, uh, of people joining us. Uh, we have Damesh Mistry, uh, we have Ari Van Benekum, we have Naresh Vias, and we have Kimberly Pills, and we do have support from Stuart McKenzie as well. So uh, uh, more introductions on each of the speakers shortly. But um, Damesh, let's get right into it, and let's talk a little bit about the context and why Composable is important and about the state of technology and enterprise IT. Do you want to talk us through maybe where we are and how we got here? Sure, sure, sure. I mean, look, um, with the benefit of hindsight, I guess, you know, we'd all have built systems very differently to the way that they are today. And um, it's easy, I think, also, you know, if you've not been through the kind of cycle of growth of companies um, to kind of say, oh, well, you know, what a mess that they've got themselves into. You know, banks have got thousands of systems and, you know, most of them are on different platforms and using different technologies, et cetera. You know, how did you get yourself into that kind of mess, right? Um, and, and we talk about this overall architecture as a spaghetti architecture, one that's got, like I say, thousands of systems sharing data sometimes through files, sometimes online and, and, you know, across different platforms, right? Um, and in today's world, we are in a very different world where things have been made a lot easier to, to share data, especially across the internet. Um, but it wasn't like that before, right? Uh, and I remember, you know, going back, um, even in the 90s writing code and thinking, Crikey, they're, they're trying to save two bytes with the century field, right? What happens in like 10, 12 years time when we go across the millennium and we have to change all these systems to de deal with this day? And, and the response was like, well, hold on, we'll worry about that then. The, these systems will be replaced by then. And, you know, 30 years later, we're still running on these systems, right? But the fact of the matter was with that, you know, compute was really expensive, it was difficult to find lots of programmers to, to write code, right? And, and and actually writing code on mainframes was expensive, right? So we tr try to save every bit and byte. We didn't also build in lots of flexibility, you know, in case that we might need this flexibility. We just built to purpose, right? And again, because compute was expensive. So that's one of the prime reasons, right? 
is that it used to be that compute was expensive. We had lots of different platforms that we could choose from, et cetera, right? Um, then the other thing is that, and this is a hindsight thing, if we knew, if we had a crystal ball and we knew how companies would evolve, then we wouldn't have the silos that we have in organizations today. Most of those silos in an organization have come about because, you know, we decided to, you know, create a call center, run a bank through a call center separately to the one in the branch, because actually it's the two different things, right? Um, we decided that, you know, after the credit card, we want to give loans and we want to provide insurance and we want many more products. And actually we thought, well, the mortgage is quite a long process for selling, you know, let's have a separate division for that. And so we ended up with lots of divisions doing different things, especially in banks, but also in other industries, you know, I think silos were created because, you know, companies launched separate brands to target separate customer segments, sometimes to uh, address different geographies. And, and with technology, they start to address or have different channels to service the customer or to sell through. And all of these things created silos. Now, if you're a, if you're a manager of a silo, like the head of a call center or the head of mortgages, you've got your own targets, right? And um, to meet your targets, you're going to use technology to deliver those, right? You don't care what the other guy is doing. If you're in mortgages, what the guy in the retail accounts division is doing, you just got to sell enough of yours. So, so you're looking for the best tech for your needs, right? And, and therein starts the, the new silo, right? Because this guy now has got a set of needs specifically for mortgages, doesn't think necessarily that the account is similar to a loan, which is similar to a credit card, which is similar to a, a retail deposit account, right? Just says mortgages, this is this is a specific purpose for buying a house and has a very different process attached to it to everything else. I'm gonna have my own system. And then when we have this silo, as soon as you've got silos, the spaghetti begins, right? Because and then suddenly somebody says, Well, actually, what if I want to sell? The credit, the um, homeowner that's got a loan with us, a credit card, right? Now I want to share some information. And now we've got this interaction between some of these silos, sometimes, as I said, by passing files, sometimes, you know, uh, through systems, right? Or networks. So, you know, that's, it's the benefit of hindsight that we think that spaghetti architecture shouldn't exist, but actually it was a natural evolution of business. If we had this crystal ball, we wouldn't be in this mess, right? Yeah, yeah. And of course, you also have mergers and acquisitions, which are featured Correct. quite a bit in all of these uh, organizations. Um, and uh, I imagine that uh, because you also had a company that you sold and you were then the chief digital officer at Temenos. Um, so uh, how, how prevalent would you say, how, how normal is what you're describing, Damesh, especially in the banking and financial services world, that you know quite intimately globally? Um, I mean, the, the, the challenge with systems is prevalent with pretty much every single bank. Right? I don't know of a bank that I could say, well, you know what, they created the ideal architecture, mm. right? And, and remember, you know, businesses evolved. They didn't know what they were going to be, right? Um, in the early days, even Amazon, if we look at a prime example, Amazon, Right. In, in the early days, they were selling books. They became an online retailer. And now they're a logistics company and one of the biggest cloud providers in the world. 
Did they know that 30 years ago? No, most businesses don't know what business they're going to be in the future because technology is enabling them to do many more things than was possible in the past. Mm. And I know that with your um, with your business that you established, which you later sold, what that looked at was uh, decoupling backend systems from user experience layers. So in a way, you were already looking at this componentized model, right? Yes, yeah. I mean, um, that journey actually started quite some time ago because when I worked for NatWest, um, I put in a kind of general strategy. I remember spending an afternoon in the office and, you know, literally there was like I spent three hours looking at the whiteboard and there was one other person in my office and she was head of delivery and I wrote presentation, logic, and then data on the board. And she and her response was, is that is that all you've done in three hours? Come on with those three words. I'm like, well, that's going to be the blueprint for our architecture. And she was like, <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, um, yeah, so um, the, the, the reason, so we focused on presentation in the last company. But, you know, the reason was we saw a massive shift from, you know, um, user interfaces that were, you know, written in, you know, windows and stuff like that, or green screens, uh, towards going towards the browser, right? And we said, well, I know how many screens exist in the bank, right? So if it takes us X months, years to create an, an internet banking application, imagine how many years it's going to take them to migrate the rest of their screens. So what we needed was something smarter to mass produce screens, you know, quicker than web developers could. Right. And that's really where, you know, the Edge Connect platform was born because we wanted to automate the creation of interfaces so that we can pump out, you know, screens much faster than, you know, developers could. Yeah, fascinating. So it's not quite, not quite in the composable camp necessarily, but it is definitely in the camp of a citizen developer. But, you know, I mean... I've heard this term, um, Costas, from you and, and others about composable, right? But 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 I've also read the Gartner papers, etc. Now mm. it'd be really cool if you could actually give us your definition of what composable is, and and you know, are there different kind of variants of this terminology? Because sometimes I hear it from different people, and it seems like different things. Am I right? You are indeed right. And um, look, as, as with all um, uh, uh, new uh, terms, um, Damesh, this is, uh, this is also a term that is uh, both an architectural concept, um, it is a loose uh, technology, and uh, therefore anyone who um, has something that resembles a component um, refers to it as composable. I think that um, there is an opportunity here to to look at this um, quite uh, literally, and when you take a literal um, view of components, what you want to be thinking about is a piece of code that can be uh, operating live, running in one infrastructure in a security zone in an organisation, in one industry, in one country, uh, where you can take that component out of that particular runtime and run it in another runtime, in another security zone, 
um, in another uh, organization, in another industry, in, in a different country, right? So that um, that is true composable and they are true components. And while, yes, there are uh, technologies, um, you know, I've seen um, uh, open source API uh, vendors talk about composable and I have seen platform providers talk about composable, but there is a really big distinction between that definition of composable and the definition that I've just offered. And the key difference is in what type of economics of t in, in IT each one allows, yeah? So if I have to customize components to make them interoperable, uh, my ability to have standardized um, uh, trading of components and interoperability and, and so forth is not there, right? So, um, and that's really, really important. The other uh, distinction that I'd like to draw uh, upon is, of course, if you have these interoperable components, they need to run on standardized runtimes. And this draws me to the other distinction between a platform and something that is bigger than a platform. Um, and let's just call that a factory uh, for, 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 the, um, for the time being. So platforms generally have a particular constraint. That's why they are platforms. They are there to serve a particular problem or have a particular set of functions. And um, whereas a factory does not. And the, uh, the opportunity that um, a platform um, uh, or rather a, a factory offers is that it, it, it can behave like code but have some of the traits of platforms. And so when you combine true um, componentization uh, and composability with that notion of um, unrestricted composition potential, uh, it really does offer a totally different economic trajectory of composable software, yeah? Um, and I think that uh, where that is most relevant is in some of the non-functional requirements, which is always the trade-off between platforms versus code. Um, so in platforms, the innovation of the vendor is always at odds with the non-functional requirements that you may require over time, such as data sovereignty and security and data privacy, whereas code gives you that penultimate flexibility, but you're always trying to get um, greater layers of abstraction. And so getting to that um, middle ground is, uh, is where composable software is, uh, becomes really, really attractive, yeah? I, I, I get it, um, and it's all great in theory, but um, do you know anybody that's actually done this in real, real life, like in a scale fashion for something that's really important in business life? Well, I think we have someone on the call who can talk about um, precisely this use case, Damesh. So um, Naresh uh, Vyas um, was chief architect at Standard Chartered Bank, is now head of delivery at NatWest RBS and um, um, 
Naresh has been one of those people that has constantly tried to balance the needs of business and agility uh, and innovation with um, all of those challenging business needs in compliance and regulatory um, uh, needs and so forth. Uh, Naresh, why don't we hand over to you and you can uh, talk us through how you were exposed and what you did with, with Composable. Yeah, thank you, Costas and um, Dermish. Um, as, as you mentioned, I had the, the pleasure of working in technology at um, multiple banks, and, and these are multinational banks as well. So you can take the complexity that Dermish mentioned and then multiply it by a dozen of countries. And, and you know, dealing with dozens of regulators, right, all with different requirements um, can get quite complex very quickly, right? And um, I would say especially post-financial crisis, um, you know, each, each regulator has sort of, you know, been very focused, I would say, on, on foreign banks that do business in their markets, right? And, and we, you know, we sort of needed a solution, right? Um, something we can quickly meet compliance risk requirements um, and the risk for non-compliance is quite high. You should just look at the fines and penalties that, that institutions would get hit with, right? So um, fortunately, I ran into Costa and the Tomorrow X solution and the whole concept of composable. And you know, reality is taking things that would have, you know, been on a backlog and would be hard to get prioritized and would, you know, take months to, to actually get done through traditional development cycles um, to something that could be done very quickly, more nimble, more agile, I guess, to, 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 to use the current terms, right? And I think one of the key things around the tool set, and, you know, Dermis mentioned mainframe and how expensive it is to work on mainframe, you know, still a lot of the workload that banks operate in are still in the mainframe um, capability. So to actually go in and make changes and not break anything else or, you know, to do all the requirement required testing and and even finding you know, developers in the space is very difficult. I mean, I mean, engineering talent is very difficult to begin with right now. But specifically in some of the legacy or heritage technologies, as we like to call it, it it's it, it is even further you know complex, more difficult. Right. So a, a great capability with the Tomorrow X product set and and the composable tools that it does work on mainstream technology, works on mid-range, and it works on the modern cloud and web technology. So you can actually take the same components and now use them across your estate, across the whole technology estates. And the people that can manage these rules and these, you know, as I mentioned, risk and compliance rules are the experts and not necessarily the developers. So you can get a someone who works in risk and compliance and actually said, okay, here's what the new policies are from the regulators and here's how I can, these are the rules that I need to implement and I can now implement the rules and not have to actually convert them into technical specs that need to go through a business analyst that gets down, you know, handed over to a developer that, you know, months later you may see the result of, and oh, this is not what I meant, and I meant something different. And you go through this whole cycle all over again, right? Um, so it's been... You know, it's been massive, right? And in terms of scale, um, you know, most of the systems I've been responsible for are you know, a lot of online internet systems and you know, millions of users, right? So scale hasn't really been, been an issue, right? It's, it's actually just driving the pace for change and things that are critically important that you just can't wait for 
um, a traditional process to, to get done. I mean, banks to me are kind of very risk averse, right? And um, this kind of new kind of technology, um, this area of composability still seems kind of potentially in that zone of, yeah, this is too new for us. Let's wait for somebody else to try out first. What was the deciding factors for you, you know, to adopt it? No, I, very good question there, Miss. Actually, our first use case I worked on was something that was not as risky. The initial one was a marketing use case where we've sort of used the technology to kind of do A-B marketing messages and, and something that's, you know, very relatively benign. Um, we're still very important, very important for the business stakeholders, right? And they really want to get these content out to customers and to the right customers, right? So based on segmentation and other rules and other policies, get the right message out to the customers. But, you know, that was a use case where, you know, you know here's an opportunity to get this marketing um, initiative done much quicker than it would have done, you know, we would have been traditionally. And, you know, you know, from a bank perspective or a technology perspective, you know, even if, you know, it's not the most critical system, right? So if something, you know, did go wrong, you know, you just wouldn't see the marketing messages on uh, on the platform, right? So it was something that was lower risk, um, you know, but once we had success with that, we were like, we were confident now that we could use this for other high value, important um, initiatives. I see this trial first and then, and then starts roll out elsewhere. Fantastic. Um, look, I, okay. So, so this was at NatWest and Standard Chartered, um, but this sounds like background activity, um, kind of like um, applications. Costas, what about the front end? I mean, this is my bag. The front end, you know, has to be much more dynamic environment. Um, I've dealt with designers in the past that are very picky about, you know, the experience, etc. Is there a place for composable in in the front end? Well, Damesh, um, we had the same question, and um, we have someone here who uh, can help us uh, answer that question. So, uh, Kimberly has um, uh, is still with American Express, has had a long career there, um, has been really driving innovation, automation, and also been responsible for user experiences and particularly in onboarding which as we all know uh, if the onboarding doesn't succeed then uh, customer relationships are at risk um, and we all know in banking and financial services um, not only how important onboarding is but also how challenging it has been so um, uh, with that note uh, Kimberly let me introduce you into the conversation and maybe you can talk us through what composable um, uh, promised and what it was like in terms of um, agility and iterative design. Sure, yeah, and thanks. Uh, I'm happy to discuss it. I mean, I think it actually links really well to what Naresh was saying. Uh, there's often an opportunity, and you, especially in banking, we have legacy systems and often default to paper. Uh, and so changing that customer experience and going digital is, is essential. But as Costas, you pointed out, you have one opportunity to, to make that first impression in the onboarding journey, and it's, it's critical. 
And what the composable um, platform allowed us to do, and really working with you, who was able to start to do some A-B testing. Nuresh, you were talking a little bit about that. You can go with a concept, say, you know, we want to collect this type of information. A customer might want to see it this way, and as you, you point out, a designer may want to depict it this way, but you actually really get to test it. You really get to actually see it come to life. So, the, you know, I say the critical things in the customer experience are, in fact, that agility, um, the speed and efficiency, the ability to actually see it, see it real time instead of a traditional way in which you may have to wait months, as you um, correctly pointed out, Naresh, maybe in some instances in our world, years, where we were seeing we weren't going to get to it. Um, it was long on a backlog. So we couldn't actually test it with customers. Um, we didn't have an opportunity before to actually put something in front of them that was dynamic. Yes, you could put up a UI, but you weren't, uh, they weren't able to actually give you feedback on how they expected the next steps to occur. So it not only allowed us to, to gain real-time feedback, it allowed us collaboration amongst teams that likely weren't collaborating before in the, the downstream um, aspects of the process. So, you know, our risk and our compliance may have said, I want this information, um, but they didn't necessarily know why they were collecting it. They always did collect it, but now it gave us a real opportunity to, to take and assess, um, you know, and react and respond with real data. So you could actually get to market faster, but with something that people really wanted to, to actually use and, and really drive some efficiencies in that space. So, you know, we had the pleasure of uh, introducing it in, in some international markets of which are highly regulated. And it allowed us to, again, to really be more dynamic, um, allowed us to pivot quickly and to address the customer needs in a real in a real time way. I mean, it sounds um, look, you know, I'm a skeptical because coming from a bank, you know, remember how how long it used to take to get anything out from IT, right? And so how how quick are these cycles? When you talk about a chain cycle and, and doing a quick test, I mean is a months Weeks. No. How, how quickly are you doing this? Yeah, I would tell you traditionally, or the heritage examples, it would have taken us years. Um, likely, everything we used to jokingly say, everything takes 12 months and two plus million dollars in order to to demonstrate and to realize. But what we were, what what we actually saw in reality is we could deploy a change in a, it, you know, in a very short period of time. Sometimes even just in a few hours and overnight, and actually be able to glean and, and get the reaction and response. So it, it, the cycle is much faster. It is much accelerated. It's almost, I, I, I beg to say, it's somewhat real time, but real time in the world of in finance that you're actually seeing it um, very, very quickly, not like historical. And, you know, from a design perspective, is there any constraints in using the tooling? Like, I know what designers like, they want everything pixel perfect. And just so, you know, from a design perspective, did you find any kind of constraints in the way that you use the tools? No, I actually saw that we could leverage our own style sheets, really have it our, our own branding versus being constrained to a tool. 
uh, oftentimes, you know, you, you look at the limitations uh, when you're looking at uh, external or third-party tools, you, you feel limited, right? It's somewhat of their design, but really it was our design. Uh, it was how do we want it to show up? How is the interface, you know, because it's very important. Brand is a huge thing um, for our company in particular, and that, that was very critical to us that we could actually have it look and feel in every way like um, our brand and represents the product in which we want to have out in the market. Cool. I mean, so, so what I think I've heard, Costas, is that this this kind of composable applies to both kind of systems that run in the background for staff or, you know, uh, for reporting, but also at the front end side of things. It, it's not a rip and replace type thing. It'll work with your existing system, whatever platform they're actually on, right? And it improves kind of agility. But, but um, you know, we talk about agility, um, how much of that is the actual tool itself and, you know, how important is tooling to agility? Because, you know, what I tend to see in projects when they talk about agile is the developer is shoved into a room, you know, with three other developers and they're cutting COVID hard for two weeks and, and, you know, something comes out the end of it. It's just cramming more time and developers into a short period of time, right? But is that the case, you know? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Damesh, and uh, uh, I think that what we have um, tried to um, observe and answer with Naresh and with Kimberly is, is what, um, what the team around the tooling behaves like and how do we move towards Agile and um, uh, who better than to have this conversation with than Ari van Bennekem, who of course is one of the co-founders of the Agile Manifesto. And beyond that is, is just committed, um, lifelong commitment to removing waste, removing delays, and having people do, um, engage in purposeful work and purposeful innovation. Um, Ari, why don't we, uh, bring you into this conversation to talk about well, what does what does disconnected agile look like or, or where is the opportunity to connect agile with tooling and um, what are some of the obvious opportunities where composable can assist with agility yeah disconnected agile i didn't think about that one yet <laughs> okay but on the other side i hear a lot of conversation the last 40 minutes about disconnected agile if you want to use that word you know the the biggest mistake that we make is thinking that agile is for development which is not agile is as well for development right mm -hmm. and development is not a couple of coders somewhere in the corner of the building but development is having the right people at the right time talking about the right things and getting it done uh, that's what we need to work at that's that is collaboration so for me Agile is coming back to, of course, you need technology. I will come back to this a little bit later on, but it's all about the collaboration and how you can get all the inefficiencies and all the delays that come forth out the traditional way of collaboration, which is basically not collaboration, but the disconnection that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And and Damesh was talking about, you know, Amazon, they were a retailer and they, they're now, you know, one of the big providers in cloud services or the largest one in the in the in the world, I guess at the moment that is an that is an evolving business model 
But what we we talked about banks, but you can also talk about all telcos or any kind of other organization is that, uh, you know, the business models, they they change so fast these days. If you look at the telcos in the last, what, 25 years, the business model has changed literally four times uh, coming from, okay, you know, this is the landline all the way to internet providers, not knowing what the next two years will bring. And the point is, if you want to, in, in that situation, if you want to survive, it means that you have to be continuously working on innovation and development with all stakeholders involved to make sure that you can really, without delay, you can get there. So you you have to, and we know this, right? It, it Agile is a corporate capability and it's focusing on the mindset and the mindset is a big thing because that, that different way of collaboration, which means empowerment, different roles, different ways of testing, all these kind of things that come in, you know, they are difficult for people to understand. People love silos because they have never seen anything else than silos, right? So they cannot even understand it can be done without silos. So there's a big, a big thing there. The mindset is absolutely um, uh, important. I, if I do an agile transformation, I do international cross-border transformations. I start with the mindset because that's the big thing. But I do know as well, if I want to go into a proper uh, a transformation and I want to create that agile organization, at one moment in time, your delivery has to be agile as well. And I will never talk about end design and development. I know it's, you know, we do development and that includes everything. And uh, you, you have to use tools and you cannot, you know, if you, I mean, agile is about going to production or at least be ready for production at the end of every sprint. That's what agile is about, right? If you want to do that, it, you can't do without tooling, you know, for integration and deployment and testing and whatever, whatever you can imagine, right? We can't do without. Um, so in, in that sense, you can say, okay, if that tooling, because a lot of tools are complicated and then you have all those different tools talking to each other or very often not talking to each other. And then we have the big issues coming in, right? So the easier, the better. Um, and what I also found, we were talking about you know, the banks and maybe the fintech is, is a, a big example because they have massive monolith systems still, right? Massive monolith systems, the mainframes are still there. Nobody wants to talk about it. But I think it, you know, these days, if you want to make real money, you know, become a mainframe developer, you know, and man, you will be get paid because <laughs> you're 60. Most likely you're above 70, but at least, you know, you can make a lot of money, that perspective. Um, what I saw in the past, you know, you go in that mindset transformation and it works well, it takes time, it takes persistence, but you can get there. But then you see that, you know, people get hindered by the technology that is not moving forward in the pace of change that you get out of that agile transformation. And this is where it becomes difficult. And this is where people very often say, oh, you know, the transformation failed. Now, the transformation can, of course, fail because... You know, people on the mindset side, they suffer from what I call innovating backward, right? They re-implement old solutions. If they can't get things done, they are not able to innovate forward. That's one, of course. But the other side is, what if you can make a transformation faster, better, and also easier for the people involved by having the proper tooling? And what I know about... Uh, in this case, connected agile, but in general about composable solutions, is that you don't have to worry about all that code. You can focus together with all the stakeholders, which means you have the developers, whatever the developer is in, in the new definition, and the people from the business, not the PO in the middle, no, really together at the table, and instantly on the fly, they can start doing things 
they can show, they can prototype, they get the feedback, they can refine. And the moment they walk out of the room and they agreed on it, you know, it's hopefully already in test, right? That's that's because it all happens in the factory, right? That's the, the general idea. Um, and if you look at the manifesto where we say, oh, maximizing the work not done, what about that one, right? So uh, easy and good. Uh, interesting uh, note before I hand back to you, uh, Costas, is that um, I was uh, a week ago. I was in Marrakesh on uh, uh, it's the largest Moroccan conference on the sea level, about a thousand people, you know, opened by the minister. So right, it's really highly appreciated in in uh, the northwest corner of Africa. Um, and there was uh, a keynote from a gentleman from Gartner. I think he was the vice president of Europe. I, it's a Belgian professor. And uh, one of the things on the on the screen that he was talking about, he said, you know, we 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 have to go into composable solutions. That's the future. We have to get away from where we are today because most of the organizations are still in hard coding, and we have to get away from this so that you can focus on, you know, the business where, we, like with Kim, we're talking about, you know, user experience and customer journeys, and having the real people, not having to worry about. Oh, those guys talk about something that I don't understand. Now you look at the screen. This is where it is. That's what it does. Is that what helps you? Is that what brings the value? And that kind of short feedback cycles, you know, agile is for me about always about avoiding delay. Not only helps you to avoid delay, uh, it saves you a lot of time and efficiency as well. And um, it, it has a it it enables you to have a very strong focus on the value you don't have to worry about oh this is impossible or that is impossible oh we don't we we don't know yet we have to figure but this is hindering and that no 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 you know in that factory you can just go in and you can focus purely on what you need whether it's front end back end middle end up end, down end, bottom end i don't care but you can focus on what you need to focus on and that's the important one i think this is where we are going uh, and you already saw that coming right that we we try to do this and uh, at this moment in time, a lot of people, let me say, a lot of organizations are in the edge of transformation. The mindset transformation is already complicated enough. So if you can make that technical transformation, if you can make that easier, it will speed up and it will give uh, an organization using it uh, a, 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 a large competitive advance, advantage uh, in you know delivering and being literally agile in today's market where business models change all the time. Fantastic. I mean, look, I get, I get the importance of technology in this, and and what I've learned today as well is that you know the importance of that the tooling provides for the collaboration aspect of getting this to work right. Not only with the developers, but I guess you know with the business people and um, compliance and and other factors that have you know, to be part of the solution. Um, but, you know, I like, like I say, I'm the old guy in IT, right? And, and, and we've been through these cycles where, you know, um, technology has got cheaper and it's got quicker and it's got faster. And we did things, you know, I remember in the 90s doing something called rapid application development. And, you know, that was the <laughs> agile of the time. Um, but, but what makes composable what are the key things that make composable right for right now? Like, why have we got here to this point now? Why, why did, why wasn't it right ten years ago? What's, what's made the difference? I, and I'm going to throw in the first one. Clearly, computers got cheaper because now we don't need to run a mainframe, uh, and you know, or, or buy an entire mainframe and only use a fraction for our piece of software. We can just buy it as we use it. 
and we've got endless compute capability at a fraction of the cost. So that I think is one of the things that makes it feasible, but what else makes it feasible now? What are the things that make composable, you know, doable now that it wasn't before? Um, I think it's the, the need for organizations to be competitive. Um, no pain, no gain, right? So if, you, if, if it doesn't hurt, you won't change. And um, uh, you said, okay, you know, technology has changed dramatically. I mean, I think you and I are more or less the same age. I'm, I'm close to 60 now. Um, I'm from the, the, the coding days with an old PC and five and uh, one quarter floppy disks and all this kind of thing, you know, working. Uh, yeah. if, if you talk to my children, they have no clue what I talk about, right? <laughs> so the technology has improved so much over time. Um, but the human mind has not. We, we work very often, even if a lot of organizations call themselves agile, they work still as 100 years ago in the Industrial Revolution, right? When in, the, in Henry Ford's factory or something, right? That's with the silos and the handovers and the toll gates and no communication with those whom it really concerns. Now, I think um, what happens here, because you always had that mix, okay, you know, we have the business, whatever the business is, and then, you know, those technical people making lines of code. And if you can focus now on, uh, you know, okay, what, what should you do? Look at it, have a common language, understanding, and speeding that process up. Um, I think that's, that's what it does, what we need today. Um, and we have plenty of examples of organizations that get hit by you know, one new innovation somewhere. I, I remember that Uber came in and the whole Dutch taxi industry was completely stressed out. Um, and we, WhatsApp came in and the telco industry was stressed out. You know, those are innovations that come in and within months, right? Yeah. They are able to kill big organizations. That, that point, WhatsApp was what, 2009 or something? But that point is now getting more and more and more important. You need to be able to adapt. And uh, uh, this is uh, the need, the pain, understanding, you know, if I stand still, I will get behind. I always say this world where we live in, it's like, you know, like uh, on a running track together. You don't have to go fast, but if you go slow and I stand still, I still get behind, right? And that's what you can't allow yourself anymore as any organization. So I think it's that need because in the end, it comes down to decision makers. They need to understand, does this help me? And that pain, where they start understanding, I need to do something different here. That pain is there. And it's unfortunate that it has to be pain-driven. Of course, it's not for every organization, but especially coming back to the examples that you gave yourself, them is like the banks. And, you know, they have so much legacy and so much, so many deeply rooted habits. And they now, they now can let them go. They have to let them go. They're now aware, I have to do this. And if you go into that modus where you get to, you know, the agility as a concept, then that's the moment where you need a factory with, with composable solutions. That's what you need. That's why Gartner said it. You know, I was listening really carefully to this gentleman and I thought, okay, you know, I can, I, we saw it coming because we're talking about this already for a while. Uh, but this is the reason that organizations will move in. And you know what also helps a bit when Gartner says so, you know, <laughs> People yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah. and, the, and the big consultancy firms start copying this, eh? And they will say to you know, as if they were you know the wise guys and invented it themselves. Now they will say to to organizations, oh, you know, you have to go into composable solutions. And Gartner said, okay, 
But it's true. Right? Yes. Gartner just spotted the trend and a need, and I think it's the need, Darmesh, that's the most important one. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see it now in banking, especially that, you know, um, I think in the fintech industry, you know, they started out saying, uh, you know, we're um, bankers with, um, you know, backed by technology or with technologies with a banking license. That was the term, I think, right? Um, but but we're actually starting to see that banks um, expanding their business models into areas that we never really thought that they would get into. Uh, and for example, you know, we see NatWest now providing banking as a service, you know, to facilitate other people, you know, taking their products or their services or fragments of their systems, you know, run in their own environments, create their own business models, right? Um, we're also seeing like Lloyds Bank spending two billion on property. Now, are they going to be a landlord in the future? You know, so, well, it's so, also so banks are transforming their businesses. But it's not so, just the banks. It's also yeah, yeah. non-banks that become banks, right? That that's yeah. the same one because you know the in the in the past you know what you you knew what the bank was. That was that building downtown. That was the bank, right? That was. But yeah. now you know it's just you open your laptop and there is a bank, whoever the bank is, or there is a car manufacturer. You know we don't know who will make cars in three or five years from now or in two years from now. Same thing, you know, people start, organizations start adopting each other businesses. And if they do uh, the combination of uh, functional quality, technical quality, uh, and the speed of delivery are, are essential. And that's where, where the factory comes in, the composable solutions come in. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I think over to Costas. Have you uh, any final remarks? I mean, I've found I've learned a heck of a lot in this conversation, so I really appreciate it. And you brought such a fantastic cast of people that have got practical experience in this space. It kind of validates all the key messages that come out about Composable. Well, um, it, it is clearly, um, uh, again, as everyone here has uh, has described, th that wave of um, of need, to use Zari's term, right, is um, uh, is well and truly here. Uh, I was just wondering, um, uh, Kimberly Naresh, do, do you have any thoughts on uh, Damesh's question of um, why you feel that Composable is now on the Gartner quadrants and uh, and why the timing? Why do you feel that the timing is now that everyone all of a sudden is talking about Composable? I'd be most interested. Uh, I would say the uh, when you hear the the pace of change has has you know, gone up exponentially, right? So so you you need to you know move at least as I already said, right? You can't stand still. Number one, right? Um, you can't wait a year, as Kim was mentioning, to 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 get a change in, right? So so the, the pace of change has gone up. I think uh, what Darvish meant, compute has become far more uh, affordable, right? So you could actually make some trade offs that okay, I won't have. I mean, Dharma's gave an example of highly efficient code where, you know, you're, you're actually looking at storage spaces for, you know, years and stuff, right? You, you know, you can now make these trade-offs where flexibility is more important than having the most efficient code base, right, um, that exists there. And I, I think the, you're at a point where, you know, resources are hard to come by, right? You just can't find um, engineering talent available and the, and the beauty of a lot of compostable solution is that you don't need to be a developer in order to create these solutions or you know create these experiences as, as Kim talked about for 
end users now. So you can now get people who you know have a vision in their heads of this is what I want to create, and now I you know they're empowered to create this uh, without you know all the different you know middlemen in the in the ecosystem. Yeah. I'd say only thing to add on to that, uh, exactly, at the pace of change is there. And people expect both their consumer life, you know, their interaction, say, with Uber, like you were talking about, Ari, to have the same experience when you're dealing with a business, right? There's no longer that you'll accept that my banking experience or my application for a, a core commercial product is, you know, 20 years behind, uh, it really is the expectation that it's fast, it's easy, it's efficient, else I'll go somewhere else where they figured that out. So the customer lens is critical. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, you know, when, when I first started, I was developing systems internally, uh, largely on green screens. We didn't really care about the experience. We actually taught branch people function keys. Press F1, you get the summary. <laughs> Press F2, you get the help, etc. Right? And it's like, oh my God, we we actually got to make this simpler. So when we got into Windows, it was it was it was the beginning of our kind of understanding that things have to be usable. Uh, and then you know when we got out to customers, I was responsible for some of the very first internet banking solutions, and and you know my simple view of like designers was a why do you keep messing around with the colors and the positioning of these things? Can't you just stick it in one place? <laughs> but but I gradually got to see through the testing how important, you know, just a minor movement or a change in terminology or a change in color can make to the overall experience. So, you know, being able to do that with the fluidity that you talked about is absolutely critical in today's world. Well, uh, this has been a fabulous conversation. Um, I just wanted to say a, a, a really big uh, heartfelt thank you to everyone. I, I do believe that um, the appetite for knowledge and experiences in this composable space um, is, is shared by many. And um, uh, the purpose of this particular conversation was to connect people with you who, who know it, who lived it, um, and who come at it from different uh, vantage points that are all really critical to um, Composable becoming successful at scale. Yeah, so once again, a massive thank you to everyone and um, uh, to listeners, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thank Maybe you. we meet someday in real life. Who knows, right? <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Take thanks care. everyone. Enjoy your day, whatever you are. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.